and, and predestinated that those would be the people who he would conform to the image of his son. It's that simple. And then you, you have to turn it into something that's way more complicated and difficult. And, um, but the, a lot of times they've co-opted this word election. And so we don't use the word a lot, really, because of the way it's been co-opted. I'm as guilty as anybody, I admit it. But election is biblical if it's taught biblically, just like predestination. It's, it's a biblical doctrine. The question is, is, what does the Bible say about it? Well, it says, right, what we read, we're, if you're saved, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, whom he did foreknow. And this is where it gets a little ugly, in my opinion. This is where those, especially who call themselves Calvinists, will change the Bible. They will refuse to accept that foreknow is what God meant. And a lot of them, even when they quote it, you'll hear them change it to the word foreordained. You'll read it in their books. They'll actually change the Bible. The Bible isn't changing for them. The Bible says foreknow, foreknowledge. It's not the same as God foreordaining by His own choice just to save whomsoever He will based on nothing. God has said, I will save whomsoever I will, and I have chosen to save those who believe. So the Bible says God elected believers to be saved based upon His perfect foreknowledge. And sadly... Those on the Calvinist side, they reject this clear biblical teaching. And foreknowledge just simply means what it says. It is to know something before it happens. Yeah. Now, that's what our text tells us. But also, I just want to show you this. The, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary is not infallible, but he gets his definitions from the Bible. That's why it's the best dictionary you can get. Amen. Always remember, it's not infallible. It's not the Bible. The, only the Bible is the, the Bible is the only infallible book on the planet. Amen. But if you want an English dictionary, get the 1828 Webster's. It's available free of charge on the internet to use any time, which I do. But we also have a hard copy here, and uh, encourage you to get your copy. But this is what. The, it's called the American Dictionary of the English Language, but it's from 1828. Foreknow is defined as to have previous knowledge of, to foresee. That's what the word means. And when you hear teachers torture that word and torture the Bible to make it teach what in their minds, this is how God should have done it. When you teach Calvinism, you're not teaching what the Bible says God did. You're saying this is how we think God should have done it. They say if God is sovereign, then this is how God would do it. And God is sovereign, but He didn't do it that way. He did it the way the Bible says He did it. And if we just leave the Bible and let it speak for itself, we're going to be fine. Amen? Foreknowledge is knowledge of a thing before it happens. How many of you say, in the foreseeable future? That's really a ridiculous statement because none of us can see anything in the future. <laughs> the closest you'll ever come to it is to listen to what I'm saying right now and then run down to the basement. Yeah. And you'll hear me say it again yeah. in the basement. Yeah. 
Because <laughs> of the time lapse. <laughs> Otherwise, we don't foreseeable future. There's no foreseeable. How many of you learned that uh, you know those guys on the Weather Channels? I mean, they get it right once in a while, but uh, don't be you know risking your life based on their forecasts. I like the ones that are honest enough to say things like, you know, just we're supposed to get uh, uh, snow, rain mix. Uh, I believe it's Monday night into Tuesday morning. And so here it is, Sunday morning, I turn the weather guy on. He's some guy on Channel 4. I don't know all their names. Can't keep up with them. But uh, this guy, he's on there, and he's like, but let me tell you, you know, this far out, I mean, we're talking tomorrow night, this far out, we still don't really have a good idea of what kind of accumulation. But we're looking at, we're saying right now an inch. But check back with us tomorrow. Hey, man, I appreciate that. I mean, he's, he's being honest. Um, but when it comes to God, He's not like the weatherman. <laughs> God has perfect knowledge, including foreknowledge. That's God. John Wesley said, quote, For, in fact, knowing and foreknowing are the same thing with God. Who knows or sees all things at once from everlasting to everlasting, end quote. And now, Wesley sometimes got off on the Armenian side of things. We don't agree with him on that. But uh, I, I think I mentioned this in Sunday school. When he's not pushing his Armenian views, he's got some great stuff. Somebody else like that is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And when he's not pushing his Calvinist stuff, he's got some really good stuff. We've got his book here that I would recommend, put out by, uh, actually it's combined, compiled by Ray Comfort, <laughs> but it's called Spurgeon Gold. Just not, not a real thick book, but it's uh, Spurgeon Gold, Pure and Refined. And uh, just uh, taken from his writings, little almost devotional size uh, clips in there. Some good stuff in there. I don't agree with his Calvinism. Same thing with Wesley. You can get Wesley's notes online free, you know, and read those. And his uh, journal is amazingly interesting to read about his missionary trips and his personal conversion experiences and all that kind of thing. Well, one experience, but a lot of experiences leading up to it. And so uh, that's why I could quote some Calvinists. I can quote some Arminians and people in between. And when they just let the Bible speak, good stuff. It's when they decide that I'm going to approach the Bible with my theology and make it conform. That's when you run into trouble. But when you take your theology and submit that to the Word of God and make the Word of God the authority over your theology, that's when you're on the right track. And so God knew about the events of Acts 13 where he says that those who are ordained to eternal life would believe before Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's when it all started. He already knew. He already knew you. Isn't that wonderful? And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. 
And this does not negate free will. I know it's, some of you have gotten that. I want to make that clear before we go on. It does not negate free will, but it does establish God as omniscient. And that's important. Uh, why, in the Garden of Eden, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there? And say, you, if you eat of that one tree, you can eat of all the other trees, do whatever you want to do with the rest of the trees, but this one right here, don't eat of it. Why did He do that? Because God didn't re uh, uh, create and make prisoners. He didn't want them to be stuck. They, he wanted them to be with Him in a love relationship. And so He had to do what? He had to give them a way out. He had to give them a choice. If you, don't, if, a, if you don't give a person a way out and a choice, then you've got a prisoner. That's free will. So Adam and Eve had free will. He even did that with the angels. The angels have free will. And we've talked about this before. Revelation 12 talks about a time when a third will fall. That hadn't happened in the past. That's, you'll learn that at seminary, but you won't learn that in the Bible. Revelation 12 is future, when a third of the angels will fall during the tribulation. They have free will. Angels have free will. Adam and Eve had free will. What the false teaching is today is that since the fall, since Adam and Eve ate of that tree, then every human being is now born, they, they'll use the term spiritually dead. But then they'll define it and describe it like a physical death, like a cessation of life. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're born and you're alive and you have a spirit, but you are not dead in the sense of cessation. You are dead in the, in the sense of your condition and your standing. But you still have reason capabilities. Now it's true... The Calvinists, you always hear them, they'll get some, some things they'll get sort of right, but then they go wrong. The Calvinists will say, well, it's impossible for you to save, be saved unless God comes to you and draws you. That's true. But then Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And uh, is it uh, Titus? I'm trying to think of the reference. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. all men. You know what a lot of these guys will do when they read those verses? Change the Bible. They won't like sit there and, you know, they won't publish a new Bible, but they'll tell you, well, all there doesn't really mean all. I'm going to take it as it reads. All men. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 32 in the midst of dealing with the great apostasy and the, uh, the terrible sin of Sodom, and it, what's it say? It says that all men are without excuse. They're all without excuse. Why? Because the creation itself bears witness of God. Your conscience tells you there's a God. Your heart tells you that there's a God. There is no... Um, 
groups gathering like clubs, atheist clubs, in kindergartens. You ever notice that? They have the little brownies and the little Cub Scouts or whatever, and they have all these little clubs. There's no atheist clubs. And if there were ever one, it would be because of the parents, never because of the kids. Because kids believe in God. Atheism is something you have to be talked into or talk yourself into beyond and in spite of your conscience. And then God giving you that witness also has His Spirit working. And just like in Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, the Spirit of God is moving over the entire planet and convicting men of their need. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit and God's work appears to all men. All men. So we do believe you can only be saved if God comes to you and draws you. But the Bible promises that He will and He does. And on Judgment Day, that's going to be something people are confronted with at the great white throne. The fact that God drew them and they didn't respond. And I'll guarantee you, God's arm is not too short. You can be in the middle of South America or the middle of Africa or way out in the Siberian, whatever. And if you desire God and you call on Him, He's going to get to you. And there's all kinds of testimonies about how He's done that through the years. So the fact of foreknowledge is God's foreknowledge is not a matter of cause and effect. That's how it's taught by Calvinism. It doesn't say that God caused something and then he knew that it would happen. It says God's foreknowledge is simply a fact of his omniscience. Now, I might lose a couple of you for the next couple of minutes, but uh, just hang with me and try to follow this. But omniscience is the quality of knowing all things at once. Let that sink in. God knows. Period. Period. When? Doesn't matter. Before Genesis 1-1, God knows. Except, nope, no except. God knows, period. Omniscience. And a lot of Christians have never thought about it. I've talked to them. And when I talk to them about omniscience, they really don't want... It's almost like you don't want... Oh, I don't even want to think about that. You ought to think about it. I, you know, it, it doesn't mean you have to understand it because no one really does. We don't understand. But you understand God didn't have a beginning? Explain that one. Raise your hand and stand up and explain it. No beginning? How could God have always been here? I cannot explain that. But I also know that my brain is about the size of a small melon, but in this, in this vast universe, it's not even a grain of sand. And God is bigger than the universe. His mind and understanding. You think of all the information in our universe, where did it come from? Every last scintilla of information in the universe around you came from God's mind. So his mind is actually bigger than the universe. <laughs> you think about that. And some of you are like, <laughs> God knows all and always has. 
It is impossible for an omniscient God to learn something new. And this will revolutionize your life. Because a lot of times you're... I'm, I'm with you. We're all in the same boat with holes in it. And we're like, sometimes we pray even and we're asking God, it's almost like we, th we think He doesn't know what He's doing. And sometimes we're informing Him of things. Isn't that nice of us? Well, God, you know, not sure if you're aware of this or not. That's how a lot of people pray. And I think God is very gracious and merciful. He looks down at us just kind of like we do when the little kids say things. You know, we're like, oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah. You don't get mad at your kids, your nieces, nephews, whatever. When a little kid walks up to you and, you know, it can get a little frustrating, you know. But why? But why? But why? You know? <laughs> why do cows eat grass that's green and then give us milk that's white? Well, let me explain it to you, you know. And, but why? And they never end run out of questions. And then they'll tell you things and you're like, you know, you have to try explaining to them that's not really true. Well, that's on a very real sense the way we are even the most mature spiritually among us in our relationship with God the Father. Never forget, He is eons above us and beyond us in his knowledge and understanding of things. And we can see, though, he's always true and faithful. And so that omniscience fact is something that builds our faith and confidence in our God. And so that when we pray, he may answer in a way you don't like, but that helps you to accept that answer. Your life goes, you know, you're driving this way. And... Uh, all of a sudden, the car veers left, and you're like, wait, I didn't steer it that way. That's because God has done that. If you're his child, sometimes he'll take the wheel. And I'm not talking about the goofy country song. I mean, I'm just speaking spiritually. She probably was too, but anyway. Isn't that, tell me if I'm wrong, isn't that a comfort? Omniscience. Big word. Sounds like theological terminology. But it is such a comfort when you grasp it. I have, I've told you about some of the things going on in my family. You know, when you see people getting elderly and getting end-of-life things, I don't, I don't know how people do it without the Lord. Why would they? To know it's out of my control... You can try to do whatever you want, but it's out of your control. People will ask sometimes when someone's near death, say, um, how, how long do you think it'll be? That's a question I won't even try to answer. I've seen people and we thought, well, probably the next day or two, two years later, how are they doing? <laughs> Still hanging on. And then people you think are going to be around for years. I'm not... I'm not a fan or anything, but I know a couple people who are of this. Uh, Toby Keith. December. He put out a statement. You would have thought he was basically in remission and everything's great. He's gone. A few weeks later. You just don't know. He may have felt that way when he put that statement out. You just don't know. And oh, what a train wreck we're in if it weren't for the fact that we're in his hands. 
So the idea that God at some point in time had to decide and choose who would be saved means, if that were true, it means that before that choice was made, he didn't know who would be saved. But that would destroy omniscience. You see? So we're criticized for saying, well, God just foreknew and based on that, and that, may, that makes man sovereign, which is a false statement. What I'm saying is, God knew, period. And if you make it then at some point, He made this choice and, and foreordained that certain people would be chosen, then you're saying that God, in, at some point, didn't know who would be saved. And He had to make that choice. And I'm going to leave it there. But if you think that through, that really destroys, demolishes the whole concept of the unconditional election tulip doctrine. At what point in time was God not aware of the choices He would make about who would be saved? At that time, He would not have been omniscient. And so we'll leave that there for you to think about. But look at Romans chapter 11. We're already in Romans if you didn't turn away from where we were reading. Romans 11, 33. And I just love this. Romans 11... 33 and 34. I want everybody to get there, so I want to give you a second. All right, if you're there, read verses 33 and 34 with me. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Don't you love that? Does your Bible have those big explanation points? Isn't that wonderful? You don't see that very often. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's, it's like a, emphasis there, exclamation. And how unsearchable are His judgments. And that's why, and His ways past finding out. That's why I'm saying, it, if you just don't try to be the mind of God, if you try not to even figure out the mind of God, you just take His word at face value. Take it as it's written. And you come away without all the confusion of the isms. And I'm telling you, if you did a little research, you got on the internet, you'll find it all over the place. The Calvinism, Arminianism debates, and they're, they're, they've wasted how many tens of thousands of hours, I don't know, millions of hours probably combined. It's just ridiculous. There's some people who once they get on that boat, they chuck everything else and they spend all the time not trying to win the loss, but trying to convert Christians into their ism. One of the reasons that I know it's false. If it was true, you don't have to try that hard. And if it's true, it won't de defray you from what the Bible says we're supposed to be majoring on. Which is what they do. So my point is simply that no one understands God it is for us to simply read and believe the Word of God. Amen? Amen? One more place here. 1 Corinthians, just over a few pages. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. We quote verse 14 a lot. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And then another one that's quoted often, verse 15, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, 
yet he himself is judged of no man. And then look how it concludes in verse 16. Read that. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's what I'm appealing to you to this morning about these things. Have the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? He said, whatever the Father says, goes. And what does the Bible say? That's what the Father says. Don't go off into philosophy or vain deceit. <laughs> Beware lest any man spoil you. It doesn't say you'll lose your salvation, but it does say you can be like a spoiled child, I guess we could say, which becomes someone, a child that's spoiled is one that is unruly and you can't do anything with them. They make a mess of everything. Beware lest anyone spoil you through philosophy and vain deceits. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. That's the warning. The devil is in the extremes, and Calvinism, Arminianism are the extremes. I lied. I want to read one more. Revelation 22. We got time. I'm not even going over yet. <laughs> Revelation 22. We'll close reading this one. Verses 12 through 17. Begins. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega. This is Jesus. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And then he describes what's outside the city. For without our dogs, and that's not talking about your puppy, it's talking about uh, unsaved Gentiles. Sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now read the next two verses with me. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Anybody listening to this message today, or at any time you hear it, if you will believe, you will be saved. The question of whether or not you're elect is only understood from our perspective as an after effect. We see the after effect. We see that we are saved. So that way we know that God foreknew us and has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. The only one who knows beforehand is God. Jesus, think of Him, preached to all, calling on men to believe the gospel. <laughs> I mean... Repent and believe the gospel, knowing that if the Calvinist view is right, they can only do that if he's preordained them to do so. Think of that. Repent and believe the gospel. And he, what is he looking around saying, I wonder which one, one preacher you say has an E on their back for the elect? E on the forehead. <laughs> now Jesus preached to all called on all to believe because any of them who did would be saved. And potentially any of them could have. Amen.
So leave the foolish debates to others and continue preaching Christ crucified and risen again. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. And we thank you for the plain, simple truth of Scripture. Help us not to be pulled into the pits of the isms, to be pulled into things that will uh, cause us to have uh, discord among brethren and divisions needlessly, uh, doubtful disputations, the way the Bible talks about these things. Help us to simply believe what the Bible says and obey. Obey your word to preach the gospel to every living creature until the time that you take us out of here and take us home. In Jesus' name and for your glory, amen.